Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, February 23rd, 2024 edition of On Iowa Politics. On this week's episode, religious freedom, quote-unquote union busting, and, of course, AEAs. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. With me this week is the full roster. We have Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton with us. Hello, Tom. Hello, Aaron. Lee Des Moines Bureau Chief Caleb McCullough is here. Hello, Caleb. Hello, Aaron. We have Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times along board. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Aaron. Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal is joining us. Hello, Jared. Hey, uh, happy uh, belated uh, President's Day, Aaron. I appreciate that. And and uh, happy Caitlin Clark Day, by the way, to everybody. Recently uh, anointed Caitlin Clark Day on the 22nd of February. Get it? Uh, and Gazette columnist Todd Dorman rounded out the roster. Hey, Todd. Hey, Aaron. Wearing his Hawkeye sweater appropriately on Caitlin Clark Day. Yes. <laughs> they, Just like uh, you planned it, right? They play well. They they play a big game in Indiana tonight, so I'm 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 clad in the. the is that I have to plead ignorance on the women's Big Ten? Is that a, a literal big game? Is Indiana good? Is that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Is it tonight or tomorrow? I pal, I don't remember. It's tonight. It's at seven. I will okay. be watching. It's uh, and it's on the Peacock, which is uh, makes yeah. a lot of fans really happy. Yeah, I even got a text from my brother who lives in Seattle about the the record-setting game being on Peacock. He, he couldn't believe it. And wondered how many people in Iowa were upset about that. I think it was for those lot. of you listening. Those of you listening on Friday, make sure to tune into the Thursday night game. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you can rewatch yeah. it on Peacock. Yeah, yeah, it's on demand. Here we can we can quickly record uh, some uh, commentary depending on whether or not we think they're going to win. Wow, what a great game by Caitlin Clark, huh? Geez, Indiana sure played well. Just we can splice those in now. I can't believe Caitlin Clark scored insert points here. Points in that game. All right, enough of levity. Let's get down to the business here. Hey, it wasn't that bad a week at the Iowa Capitol this week. I mean, it was busy and there was big stuff and interesting stuff to talk about, but uh, I don't feel like I was run over by... Uh, five consecutive 18-wheelers like I did at the end of last week. So that's an improvement. Uh, no, they, just, they just honked at you this time. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was able to avoid them, as we'll learn later. Uh, we start this week with the one topic that has dominated the 2024 session more than any other, the operations and funding of Iowa's nine area education agencies. I almost did it again. I want to say associations. I even wrote in the script here. Not associations, as I've written incorrectly a couple times now. Hashtag grateful for editors. What is going on? Why do I want associations? Oh, all right. The area education agencies. On Wednesday this week, the Iowa House held a public hearing on that chamber's AEA proposal. Public hearings can be requested by the minority party, Democrats in this case. And it was the second public hearing conducted thus far this session, the first being on Governor Kim Reynolds' gender ID bill. Uh, Caleb, you covered the AEA public hearing for us this week. Give us a little cover, color from that scene. Yeah, um, so it was it was pretty uh, similar, I'd say, with uh, you know past you know public forums, subcommittees, uh, times for the public to weigh in on this bill. Uh, There's a lot of parents of students with disabilities um, who were very concerned that uh, changes to the AEA system were going to lead to worse outcomes, more difficulty accessing services and, and inconsistent outcomes throughout the state. Um, this bill 
from House Republican differs from Reynolds' bill most significantly because it says that um, schools will still need to use their local A or NAEA, not actually not their local AEA, but they'll still need to use NAEA for special education uh, support services. Um, but they will get that money, the state money first, and then um, contract with the AEA for whatever services they need. You know, there's concerns about how that kind of fee-for-service model is going to affect uh, rural schools who, um, you know, the dollars that they're going to get from the state aren't as much as urban schools. Um, they may still have similar costs or higher costs. Um, so how is that, you know, how are those individual contracts going to work out and, and you know, supply equal uh, care and equal services to everybody in the state? Um, so that was a big concern. And then there was a lot of uh, superintendents who were um, a, a good number of superintendents. I think all but one or two um, were supportive of the bill, uh, often from, you know, those larger schools. But they said that um, they want to have the control of their special education dollars and um, be able to see where that money is going and what that money is being spent on. Because right now they don't really see that. They see that it goes to the AEA, but then, you know, they get the services that they need um, and they don't have control of those dollars that are um, allocated for their students. Uh, so that's what they, you know, they, they say they superintendents universally overwhelmingly said we like the AEA. So they serve a very important service. We don't want them to go away. But we want to be more. We want to have a higher seat at the table when it comes to um, planning out our services that our students are going to get. So that was kind of the the two major um, perspectives, I would say, um, of that hearing. Very high, well attended. A lot of people. A lot of people outside the room after it filled up. It was streaming outside, and anytime uh, a, a speaker against the bill would speak, uh, everybody outside would was clapping and cheering. So it was very highly attended for the uh, con side for sure. And yeah, afterwards I spoke to. Uh, Skyler Wheeler, the chair of the of the um, education committee, uh, he said kind of a, he said that you know he thought that the input was fairly consistent with what he's heard so far. He pointed out there were superintendents who said that they weren't for the bill that they thought it would it would mess up kind of the whole funding structure. So he said it was interesting to see you know there are superintendents on either side of that issue, um, and just said that they're going to keep working on it. Uh, he did not really have much to say about the Senate version and what. He thinks, you know, where he thinks they're going to land. He says, you know, we're just going to work on this on our side and we're going to try to get um, to a consensus and then we'll see where it goes from there. So kind of the the broad view of that, that meeting. Yeah. And real quick, Caleb, um, you touched on it. And and again, to clarify that these folks were in the significant minority as far as their 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 opinion on, on this. But you did mention there was at least one and maybe two superintendents who did speak in support of the bill saying that they they didn't care for the services uh, that their their local AEA provided, right? I, I was just curious what those few stray superintendents, what was kind of their message about the bill and why they they liked the proposal? Yeah, I think in general, um, they, I don't know if anyone directly said that they don't um, like the services the AEA provides. Um, they think that they can do it better and cheaper on their own, I think was was the perspective of some of those superintendents. Okay. But uh, yeah, so that was that I would say was the perspective. You know, um, I think the Okaboji superintendent was maybe the was is one of the stronger voices on that. And he, you know, he said he likes the original proposal that allows the schools to use that money um, with another party or how or on their own to kind of provide the services. Because he says, you know, he's looked at the numbers and he thinks that Okaboji could. Um, you know, provide all the services they need far cheaper than than the money that now goes to the AEA. Um, however, you know the the response to that from from um, some Democrats has been 
you know, during the, the subcommittee on that bill um, a couple of weeks ago, um, one of the senators pointed out Okaboji is a large school district. They have a lot of property taxes. Um, they have a lot of money that, uh, that other schools don't have. So their money is being supplement is being used to supplement these rural schools that don't have the, the freedom to, to kind of use those, uh, to, to be able to, to pay for those services on their own. So that's, that's, uh, that would be. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm glad you pointed that out. Cause I was, I was ready to do just that. I know that I've heard other people say that, that not, not everybody has the tax base that the Lake Okoboji school district oh, yes. does. <laughs> no, they, uh, no, they do not. No, they do not. Uh, so I, I was just curious, Sarah and Jared here. So I, like I said, at the top, this, um, topic has dominated the session under the golden dome of wisdom as uh todd likes to call it where we're in our bubble here is it still does this issue still have juice um uh, in cities across the state do you still hear your local education folks your local lawmakers hearing a lot about this is, is this still the hot topic that you guys hear about too like we do i think so i mean i think it's uh interest is has gone down a little bit since the original proposals uh, been shot down, but several school boards, this has been a topic of conversation for school board members and like the Davenport school board even had a resolution um, in support of maintaining the AEAs as is. Um, they really heavily utilized the AEA services a couple years ago when they um, they were on conditional accreditation and they were trying to work to um, to get, get reaccredited again by the Iowa Department of Education. So they really use those uh, uh, Mississippi Bend uh, Area Education Agency. Uh, they really relied on them to uh, to bring them up to snuff. And uh, and in Bettendorf as well, they um, they brought in some AEA folks to explain like their services and seem to indicate that uh, uh, moving away from the AEA structure would be uh, would be detrimental to uh, to services provided in that school district. So, so it seems like in the Quad Cities, at least, schools seem to be supportive of um, their education agency and keeping the system as is. There was a forum a few weeks ago um, where that was really well attended for as far as forums go locally um, held by Democrats. And there were quite a few. It was mostly staff members of AEAs and local Democrats. And obviously staff members at AEAs are very concerned about uh, changes to the structure. Um, and there was one parent who uh, spoke up and did say that she thought that there did need to be did need to be some changes at AEAs that she'd had some difficulty with uh, um, getting the services that her daughter needed. So she also she had a complicated view. She didn't think that the governor's bill was the way to go. Interesting. On, on that note, there I mean there has been definitely been um, a I guess in response to the people who don't want to see these bills to pass, um, there's definitely been uh, you know a sense that people say, saying. Um, there, there is certainly room for for changes to the AEAs, and and you know they want it as an alternative to a big overhaul. They would like to see you know a study commissioned, um, which the House bill does include a study, but the study will run at the same time as these changes happen. Um, so they want the study to happen first, and and you know find out what can be changed and how. Um, so you know that that's definitely a very strong view among the people who oppose the bill. Interesting. Jared, how about in Western Iowa, where, by the way, Skyler Wheeler is from? Um, yeah, so I would say the most significant thing that happened on this front, it, specifically in Sioux City, was at last week's um, school board meeting, 
the school board had a uh, resolution on supporting Iowa's uh, area education agencies, which didn't pass, but they plan on bringing back a uh, revised version of that next week. Um, so, you know, there is a uh, hesitance out there among the, the school board folks, at least in our neck of the woods. Um, and then we also have another um, area legislative forum on Saturday. And I have to imagine the uh, AEA proposal will come up again in some context uh, at that uh, forum. I would I would bet money on that. Feels like an even safer bet than the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. Yes, yes. I don't think you can get uh, any underdog odds on, on this one. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on because uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll be back on that topic. Again, those bills are moving. Uh, the work is not done. Um, that is not the last word we've heard uh, by any stretch of the imagination on AEAs area education agencies. Uh, another big moment this week was the passage out of the Iowa Senate of what Republicans call their religious freedom bill. Versions of this bill have been introduced in the Senate every year since at least 2018, and never before has it passed out of the chamber. So this was the first. Republicans say the bill is needed to protect individuals' religious freedom, which they say has been chipped away by U.S. Supreme Court decisions over the past few decades. Democrats say the bill would give people license to discriminate against others, especially minority populations and religions, and use religious freedom as a defense. Todd, and feel free to offer any thoughts you may have on the bill itself, but I'm also curious if you have any guess why this finally passed out of the Senate this year. I mean, yes, I know you can make the argument that the Iowa State House Republicans have moved well to the ideological right since gaining their trifecta in 2017. And, and I, I think the evidence on that is pretty clear. But this group isn't a whole lot different than last year's and it didn't pass last year. So it, it and it passed this year with every Republican voting for it. So there wasn't even any dissension among the ranks. So so what was the magic sauce this year, do you think, Todd? Oh, I, I mean, I think it's just become clear that, uh, you know, the Reynolds administration wants bills such as this passed. Uh, you know, the business community has come out fairly strong against them in the past. I think maybe they're still opposed, but their opposition is sort of lukewarm compared to what it used to be. I think there's just this acceptance that this, you know, regime that's, you know, controlling the state house is interested in, you know, putting religious freedom ahead of, you know, the, the, the freedom of, uh, under the Iowa Civil Rights Code, the freedom of especially LGBTQ people to access public services and, and to, you know, use facilities and all of those things. I think that's what this is mostly aimed at, is there are people whose religious convictions, at least they say, preclude them from not discriminating against people who are, you know, living in such a way that they don't agree with. But yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's what it's about. I mean, they're, they're going to, there's a lot of high-minded rhetoric about, you know, restoring freedom and, you know, bad court rulings and things. But the bottom line is there's some laws in Iowa that prohibit discrimination that they would just rather not deal with. And this is one way not to, not to have to do it. Yeah. It, it was interesting during debate that they, uh, Democrats asked for examples of religious freedom being infringed upon um, in Iowa. And as, as I recall, and I'll keep thinking about this in case I'm forgetting one, but I, the, the only one that was brought up was the the COVID shutdown of churches in the, in the early stages of the pandemic. We have a whole separate bill uh, that addresses that uh, that's running at the Iowa legislature too, but they, they listed some other examples, the uh, what they considered to be infringements of religious freedom 
freedom, but they were all uh, in, in other states and other, in other places in the country. That was the only one in Iowa. Jared, it looked like you were going to say something. Yeah, it is kind of interesting to try to pull off. Um, it's almost like a tightrope act when talking about some of these religious freedoms disappearing, considering the state has been dominated by Republicans since 2017, um, like you were talking about, Aaron, and considering, you know, you can say in other states like liberal California or New York that, you know, those are going away. But the Supreme Court has also been uh, bent to uh, conservatives for a number of yeah. years. So it, that does make it a little harder to talk about where it is those freedoms are kind of being eroded. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Finally, this week, uh, uh, the third big event we wanted to talk about featured a caravan circling the Iowa Capitol complex and a plane circling overhead with a banner. We, we get to cover a lot of things at the Iowa Capitol, but we can't say that every day. Uh, members of the Teamsters Union came to the Capitol to protest legislation that would decertify bargaining units if public employers fail to submit certain paperwork required for recertification elections. So if that sounded like a lot of jargony gobbledygook, um, hop online and find my story. That'll explain everything. The, the shorthand version is... Um, Union bargaining units need to recertify every year now under the 2017 collective bargaining law. And if they don't submit this paperwork, then they can't hold the election and they just get to keep on rolling on without that recertification election. And so um, state house Republicans view this and that as a loophole in that 2017 collective bargaining law. Uh, while union members and supporters are calling it a union busting bill because it places a, an awful lot of power in the hands of the employer because if the employer just doesn't submit that paperwork, the bargaining unit gets decertified. So it, I think fair to understand the concern from the uh, union side of this as well. Um, so Tom, as was mentioned earlier, I was chasing around honking semis and airplane banners uh, on Wednesday. Uh, but this is a Senate proposal, and I was also curious, uh, House Republicans have been mostly quiet on this bill to this point. Uh, and so you spoke to the House Republican chair of their Labor and Workforce Committee. So, so uh, tell us about how that went. What does what the prospects for this thing look like in the House? Yeah, so Representative Dave Dio, a Republican from Nevada, who, as you mentioned, chairs the House Labor and Workforce Committee, said lawmakers have been aware of the lack of recertification elections by bargaining units for years, and that it's been a concern for Republicans who passed the 2017 uh, collective bargaining law. Dio said that it will be up to Republican House leaders whether to take up the bill if it passes out of the Senate. So, you know, the question remains as to, um, you know, where leadership might want to go with that bill. Um, he said he's open to closing again what he and other uh, Republican lawmakers see um, as a loophole that prevents labor unions from holding an election of members of who should represent them. Uh, and said that he feels the bill provides an incentive for both sides to comply with the law, submit the list, and have a vote. So it seems like, um, you know, at least there are some House Republicans who um, are receptive or open to the legislation, but uh, at least up until this point, we haven't heard a whole lot from 
um, House Republican leadership about if this is a priority of theirs, you know, or, you know, what would happen um, should the Senate um, go ahead and and uh, and pass that along? Yeah. And to that point, Caleb. Uh, so, uh, again, as we were alluding to, as we joked about <laughs> the timing of us talking about uh, Thursday night basketball game on a podcast that posts on Friday morning. We, as we sit here Thursday afternoon, Caleb, you're coming straight from the state house. Did I don't believe Speaker Grassley? Did he talk to reporters today, this afternoon after debate? He did this afternoon, yeah. Mostly, oh, about, he did. Um, yep, mostly about, about the uh, school funding and the AEA bill. Okay, so did this come up? This topic, it's collective bargaining, no. Shoot, okay, so so we still don't know uh, where the speaker stands on that bill. That'll obviously be something interesting to find out. Uh, um, moving forward and and uh, as we prepared to come quote unquote on the air here um I, I just saw a new email in the inbox that uh, another union i believe it was aflcio uh that's pl- yeah that's planning to come uh they're coming to the capitol on on monday <laughs> to to have their event to, to talk about all this the timing of this is also uh kind of perfect because just yesterday i would know uh there were a bunch of stories about this about 2023 being the year of the strike, um, there was data from the Labor Department that the number of major strikes jumped by 43% in uh, 2023, which is the biggest number of uh, large work stoppages in more than two decades. Uh, So you might see more honking uh, semis and airplane banners and such uh, if uh, this bill uh, passes, if the trends continue from 2023. Yeah. Uh, and it was interesting. I, I, Packwood, Sarah, is not in you guys' coverage area, is it? It's where Senator Dickey's from. Uh, no, I, I it, it's southeast, but I think it's it's out of you guys' reach. But the, the reason I thought of it is Jared mentioned Caravan coming uh, to a capital near you. Uh, the Teamsters said that they're taking that show on the road, including to Senator Dickey's district. So it, uh, uh, the semis will be rolling through Packwood, and, and I don't know where else they're planning on on going with that one so jefferson county thank you thank you queue up uh caravan by uh van morrison the uh, the caravan is on its way or convoy I, who, who's that by who sings convoy that's C- cw mccall Aaron. oh man i knew you'd know that jared fantastic all right well hey like i said it was it was a fairly relatively speaking quiet uh week usually we're trying to cram stuff in and we're still going 40 minutes on this thing uh uh, anybody just have something they need to get off their chest before I sign us off this week? No, everybody good. This will this will this will be uh, unpopular among uh, Iowa fans, but I would note that uh, the the previous record for points scored was set in an era when freshmen couldn't play and there was no three point line. So uh, there you go. Is that did we have do we have Cheryl Swoops on the podcast with us <laughs> this week? Is there, is this a guest appearance? <laughs> I'm just uh, I'm just sticking to the facts, Aaron. That's, that's all. That, that's, that's all. Right. Are you are you are you talking about Peace Pistol Pete's record that she's going for? Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll just you know I'll just say you know Pistol Pete he was doing like forty shots a game. Um, Caitlin Clark's much more efficient than Pistol Pete, so that is much, that is that is very true. <laughs> much better usage rate. I like it. We've gone all analytics here on the Iowa Politics <laughs> Podcast. I love it. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Um, if you're not already, make sure you're subscribed on your streaming service of choice. 
where you can also find the podcast each week on your preferred gazette or lead newspaper website. Just a bountiful number of options there, any one of them. They're all, uh, it's on all of them. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox, you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that free newsletter at the Gazette website, thegazette.com. And lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Muscatine Journal, Cedar Rapids Gazette, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Mason City Globe Gazette, Council Plus Daily Nonpareil, and the Sioux City Journal. Spotlight by Chai Song Rider featuring Alicia Monet is playing us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For the whole gang, Tom Barton, Caleb McCullough, Sarah Watson, Jared McNett, Todd Dorman, and our producer, Bailey Chihon, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening. Can't get enough of the Gazette? Listen to the Gazette Daily News podcast for the latest Eastern Iowa headlines packed into bite-sized stories. Listen at thegazette.com or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or through your Amazon Alexa device. Tell it to enable the Gazette Daily News skill, then say, Alexa, what's my flash briefing?